there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. You're hearing us early this week because Nebraska football is playing a day early. They're playing on Friday, so you're hearing this podcast on Thursday. Um, I, th- I think his podcast is also going Thursday. I haven't asked him. I should have asked him ahead of time, but uh, podcasting counterpart Brandon Vogel is joining me this week, host of the I-80 Preview Podcast. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, remaining on uh, the usual schedule for that. So that uh, that, that podcast, the ID Preview Podcast, does hit on Thursdays. So look for that ahead of Rutgers. Shortened time frame, less time to listen this week. Well, I do not have a Rutgers guest for this week. Uh, the short turnaround made getting a Rutgers guest difficult, so we will not have somebody previewing their side. But you should always be listening to the IAD Preview Podcast so you can still get a Rutgers preview from Brandon. Um, joining us also is Aaron Sorensen, half of the dynamic duo behind the Mind Drone Podcast. Aaron, how are you? Good. I thought you were going to give me a lead in by basically saying like you weren't able to get a Rutgers, somebody to preview Rutgers. So you invited me because as we know, I am just a, a wealth of knowledge on the Rutgers football team. It's just, that's, if you're going to talk to me about anything other than Nebraska football, it would obviously be Rutgers football. So I just figured that was where you're going with that. How does Rutgers secondary look? You know, Great. Um, Panic. Panic Could be better. (laughs) (laughs) Let me let me regurgitate whatever Matt Lubick said today. Um, (laughs) It'll be a real test. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Aaron um, Taylor Swift on Twitter uh, quote tweeted something talking about her new album thing that came out. um, Album thing. (laughs) With sorry, just a thing. A Dwight Schrute gif. Um, and then Rain Wilson responded to it on Twitter. Um, and then Taylor Swift responded to Rain Wilson. And so I think now I have to be a fan of Taylor Swift. Is it, is it okay if I jump on the bandwagon this late? It's totally fine. I sent you a, um, somebody made an album cover with uh, Dwight Schrute and you never responded to me about it. So I just assumed you either hated it or it was the greatest thing you've ever seen. No, I saw it. I have yet to respond to it. I will do it once we get out of the Zoom lobby. But so I saw that and then I saw it was a, one of those what's happening things on my Twitter timeline that, uh, you know, like the bar off to the side. And it was Taylor Swift replies to Rain Wilson. And I was like, is this the thing that Aaron sent me? Like, did, did the two of them see it? But it wasn't. But it still, yeah. it was an interaction between Taylor Swift and Dwight Schrute. So it seemed like it was um, a colliding of, of two worlds. She's might have to be a Taylor Swift on Twitter fan. right now. Yeah, she's in the, like, if you are somebody who is more of a, uh, not quite the pop loving Taylor Swift, this is definitely a uh, 
it's taken it's taken a different direction. So I did make Brandon listen to one song. Um, he might tell you he hates it. I don't really care. I didn't hate it, but the thing is, is someone who doesn't listen to pop music a lot, I go to Taylor Swift because I want pop music. Like if I just want, like I listen to to Bon Iver and the National enough. Uh, that you didn't need on that their own. That I don't need Taylor Swift's version of it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I did. So Brandon, I actually, and Derek, I promise not to completely derail your podcast with Taylor Swift, but this, there's a reason for this. I brought it up. I opened the door. You did. But I will say the one thing that the two of you are very good at is you are both very good at looking at statistics and breaking into the numbers. So at some point I'm going to need to share this with you because on this, these two albums that she shared folklore and evermore, there, people are trying to understand what percentage of a band has to be featured on a song for them to get a credit. Because, um, for instance, Mumford & Sons is not credited on the new album, except for one of the singers is, in fact, in one of the songs. But The National was not credited in the first album, but now that they have a certain percentage... Um, just long story short, I'll have to I'll have to give you the number so you two can figure out. Is it they somebody figured out it's like sixty six point seven percent of the band has to be available for <laughs> them to be credited on the album? Feels like feels like a good uh, stat number to dive into, and you wonder why is she just really into like the statistics of it? Maybe I don't know. You definitely want to make sure you don't miss any residual checks from Taylor Swift album from working on that. That that's it's important. I, I'm, assume, I'm assuming that adds up. It does. I'm sure. <laughs> the credit or no credit thing on like writing or um, like featuring or whatever. I don't pay I don't pay enough attention to this stuff to really know one way or the other. But it, it's kind of fascinating to me who gets like who credits other people in their music and who doesn't. And it has to be, yeah, and it has to be, like, something about working out between labels and all of that stuff. Because, no, if you know, if anybody has spent a little bit of time with, uh, if you're a fan of Taylor Swift at all, you know, she's really outspoken about people getting paid correctly for their work and their effort and their time and everything. So I'm, I'm guessing she doesn't, like, inadvertently leave somebody off of the credit line unless they're saying like I don't want that or there's some reason that they can't be based on an album but still I do enjoy the uh Taylor Swift uh stats nerds on Twitter who are trying to figure out what that percentage is to be able to get featured on the album I assume it's a union thing union negotiated right I'm sure yeah either way I would like to point out that as a solo act Brandon Vogel 100% of my band is here so Derek I need to be credited for this podcast it will be uh it, it will be the varsity club featuring brandon vogel but aaron does not get a credit because um well i guess you should because i was gonna say not 66.7 percent, but 100 percent is here because sasha who is your co-host is producing she's, for us she's physically in the room where it happens um shout out to hamilton again so again <laughs> I guess it'll have to be the Varsity Club podcast featuring Brandon Vogel and then in double parentheses featuring, would it be Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin or just Aaron Sorensen? Or just the cast of the Mind Your Own podcast. I don't know. You guys are making this difficult for me. Um, let's talk Nebraska football. One of the things that we found out this week is that Colin Miller is not going to be 
playing football anymore. Um, the press conference, or I guess the media availability, whatever you want to call it, the Zoom session that we had with Colin, he was kind of a surprise guest. Um, he's talked to us before, I think one other time um, since since he got injured against Illinois, I think, um, but we were not expecting him, uh, not expecting to talk to him on Tuesday, and then he, he kind of popped up and um, let everybody know that after speaking with a neuro- neurologist and getting some kind of feedback on the sort of like the long range effects of the spinal concussion that he suffered against Illinois, that it was in his best interest to um, medically retire from the game of football. Um, Open it up to either of you guys. If there's anything that you want to say about Colin, anything you want to say about what we heard, um, his injury, anything like that, you have the floor now. (laughs) What a gut punch. I think that was like, when he, when he started, talking I think we knew it was going one way or the other like if he's going to come up to speak at this point he's either telling us he's going to return for another year or he's going to tell us that it's it's done and you very quickly started to know which direction it was going and I I my heart just sank because I think Colin Miller handled that in a way like with such grace, he handled it in a way that so many others, like I think of myself, if I was in his shoes being sort of faced with the reality of this thing that I love and this thing that in a lot of ways defines your life for a large, at least in most of these individuals cases, it's been a part of their lives, their whole lives at this point. And to face the reality of the dreams and hopes and things that you had surrounding that now suddenly gone to be in his shoes and to handle it and speak to it the way he did was phenomenal. And I don't take anything away from what he's probably feeling and will continue to feel. And I hope he allows himself to feel all of those things because it's, it has to be really hard, but I was telling Brandon this story um, before COVID-19 shut the world down. The last thing that I really did in person for Nebraska last spring was pro day. And I was sitting between Ben Stilley. He was on my left and Colin Miller on my right. And Colin was just kind of, you know, joking about hand sanitizer. And like, I remember like I had a little hand sanitizer and he was like trying to like jokingly barter with me about like how much I'd be willing to give him since like, hand sanitizer was at premium then but like we're just sitting there talking Ben myself and Colin about this thing that was happening in front of us and you know in a year's time that they would be participating and I think that's like when I think about that moment it's easy in hindsight now to like look at that moment like wistfully and be like oh think of like the gravity of that but like there wasn't any gravity in that moment it was just we're at pro day looking at what you would assume a year from that point Colin would be participating in and to think like in that time period, how much has changed. And it it really, it's like, it's just a reminder of, um, I don't know, not to be overly sappy, but just to really appreciate, I guess, what you have at the time that you have it, because you really don't know what a year down the road is going to look like. And, you know, knowing, knowing Colin and having had the chance to get to know him, um, in the capacity that we did, I, I don't worry about him. He's going to be phenomenal in his lifetime, but it's, it's still a gut punch just to kind of like think about that potential that was there. And now, now it's changed. The dream for him has changed and it will look different. And it's still a tough pill to swallow, even, even through the reality that it's probably for the best. 
Yeah, that's all really well said, Aaron. I don't have a ton new to add to that. Um, other than like, like you said, like if you're an athlete, it all ends for everyone at some point and it's tough to, to see it end for a player like Colin this early um, was, he was playing really, really well. Um, you know, when you get to that level, when you get to a power five level as a scholarship athlete, like, yeah, I think everybody thinks, Oh, I'd love to keep playing. I would love to go to the next level. Um, the thing that was really kind of heartbreaking in the moment to me was to hear him mention that, yes, he, he had those, those NFL aspirations as well. Um, but playing at Nebraska where there's so much interest in the Huskers um, they're the only game in town. He, he mentioned that he felt like he, he got a little bit of the feel of, of what it's like to be at, at that level, to have that much attention just by playing college at Nebraska and, you know, my heart kind of sunk for him a little bit in the moment. But as I returned to that in, you know, the couple of hours since he spoke, it, it makes me happy for him. And I think it, it really tells you kind of the perspective that a, a young man has at this stage. And that's that's really remarkable. And I think that's kind of what I'll always remember Colin Miller for more than what he did for the Huskers. But he did a ton on that front, too. Yeah. And I will say it's been a weird season and, you know, as we prepared for this season and getting ready to, I don't know, just lead through, go through it and lead the season with like as much normal normalcy as possible. I remember uh, getting ready for that first game day and the photo that was selected to sort of kick this season off was a photo of Colin Miller from our yearbook shoot um, a summer, two summers ago. And I'm so glad it was because I feel like, you know, this year has been just shitty and terrible in so many ways and been hard for so many people. Um, But, you know, I hope to look back on this season and remember some of the good, even through the bad. And I would say that one of the really good things was Colin Miller, even though it ended in the unfortunate way that he did. I hope that he can always look back on like what he was able to do, even in like the weirdest and hardest of times. So it's, it's weird in hindsight to see that photo and be like, Oh, that kicked off our season, but I'm glad that it did because, you know, may the season always sort of be in his honor as weird as it was. Yeah, one of the things that was interesting was we got to hear from Mark Eldersmuke, um Tuesday as well. He spoke before Colin Miller did, and somebody asked him about Colin Miller and um, Markel. Mark Markel's like a sneaky great person to talk to, in that he's he's really a no BS guy, and he just kind of says exactly what he's thinking. And he was like, "Yeah, I expected Colin Miller to be depressed, and he wasn't, and that was great for us." And he gave us a bunch of energy, and um, then to hear Colin come back and say, kind of. Like he did that because he knew that they were going to give him energy and that they were going to help him out. Um, that was kind of a cool moment just hearing him talk about how like, you know, because we, we'd heard from Chenander like a week or two ago where Chenander had said that Colin was in the hospital that Saturday. He spent the night in the hospital. And then that, that Monday morning, he was like early to the facilities, had his practice script in hand. He was going through stuff with the team and he was there giving energy and everything like that. Um, and obviously, you know, he, he traveled with the team for the, whatever the next road game was. Um, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Um, in a, in a tough moment. So, um, we can, we can move on from that. I, I appreciate what you both said. It was really well put. Um, I won't 
keep blabbering on and ruin it. So um, I gave you guys, I gave you guys one question that, that we were going to talk about um, because for all intents and purposes, the season is over. Brennan Hymas, Nebraska's starting left tackle opted, opted out of the week nine game against Rutgers. Um, I don't really know how to like put this game into the season. I don't know. Like, are you guys viewing this as a bowl game? Are you viewing this guy? Are, are you guys viewing this as like part of the regular season? Cause in a normal year, we wouldn't have this plus one game. I am viewing it like the regular season is over. So I'm looking at the, the seven games that Nebraska got to play. Um, and kind of, I, I've already turned the page to 2021. I looked at the schedule. You guys know that I'm not a big like, oh wow, the schedule's terrible person, but the schedule sucks. Um, the offense. I was just kind of projecting earlier today before we got on this podcast and looking at it, like in terms of eligibility as the NCAA sees it, they're going to have a ton of freshmen and sophomore kids all over the field in 2021 potentially. Um, this could be a very young team playing a bear of a schedule. And I want to talk to you guys about the offense. Because the offense was, I'll say, enigmatic this year. Um, a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about the offense. A lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about where this thing is headed, um, what the the long-range potential of this offense is, whether, you know, uh, somebody wrote a column about whether Scott Frost should give up play calling duties. We've talked about that. We had it asked in the mailbag. Um, There's a lot of questioning of Scott Frost's um, sort of brainchild that he was supposed to bring to Nebraska as we kind of close out year three. Um, So the, the question that I posed to you guys, we'll just start kind of broadly. And if you want to narrow it down, we can, how do you fix the offense in 2021? Brandon, where do you want to start? They need more explosive plays, um, which I don't like that as an answer. But when I like look at it and really break down this offense, uh, what it does well right now, what it doesn't do, that's the most glaring one to me. It's a little like, and I mean, and this this is the problem with it as a solution. It's a little like, you know, if, if Fred Hoiberg's offense, they, they can't make threes, which, which again, it's like, okay, great. Well, make more. How do you do that? Um, so, so Nebraska in 2018 had an explosive play percentage of 17.4%, 25th nationally. 2019, it dropped to 33rd, 16.8. This year, it's at 14.1, 81%. So it's going the wrong direction. And I I mention it just because my feeling from this offense, particularly these past two seasons, is that they basically have to scheme everything, everything they get. And they get still get a fair amount on offense. The points aren't there this year, uh, but the success rate is the yardage is is better than you'd think for the amount of points Nebraska is scoring. there's just, they need to make some threes to, to keep it in basketball terms. Like they need a three or four play drive. Occasionally everything needs to go six, seven, eight, nine plays. And it's just tough. And so how do they get those? I think it's part, they need to execute them better. I mean, how many times have we seen this season, particularly in the passing game, those plays are there to be had and either Nebraska misses them in that they, they throw to the wrong guy or they, they take a, easier pass when there's a big shot downfield or particularly in that Minnesota game, 
they just miss. Like the pass is a little bit off, the receiver doesn't get there, whatever it is. Uh, they're 114th right now in explosive passing plays. It's just it's it's they're getting nothing from that part of the game, and and this offense isn't designed to to work that way. Um, so I think it comes down to execution first and foremost. They need to execute a little bit better. Um, it's also a talent thing, and, and I, I don't think talent is much of an explanation for Nebraska's struggles so far in a broad sense, but at the skill position talent, particularly like the receivers they brought in to help address that haven't broken out besides Wandale Robinson, who also is their, one of their, the running backs they trust most right now, which isn't how that design is designed to work either. You think back to those UCF offenses and they had, you know, four five, six guys that you felt could go 60 yards at any time, like just get them some space, get the throw on the money or block it up up front. If it was a rushing play and they would just go. And without that, this offense is going to have a really, really hard time. Aaron, before I go to you, I want to ask Brandon a question about something that he just brought up. The the length of drives. We've seen scoring drives uh, in the last two games now. Purdue, the, the first drive of the second half was the 11-play, 75-yard drive. Um, and then against Minnesota, they had a 13-play, 73- or 72-yard drive or something there in the second quarter um, that they scored on as well. Frost talked Monday of this week and said that like that was when they were really cooking and I think when 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 we saw both of them live, we were thinking, okay, they're really cooking here. But it, it, is that an issue? Like, is it, is it an issue that they have to go 13 plays, 11 plays? Now, they didn't have any negative plays on either of those two drives that I just mentioned. No negative plays. Um, but it took them 11 and 13. And you've looked at numbers that say if you're, if you're going more than, what is it, seven plays on a drive, the chance of scoring drops off pretty substantially. Yeah, it's not necessarily that the chances. Well, it does drop off a little bit, but uh, I looked at this for the magazine, I think in November um, and average touchdown drive. And this this remains standard like year to year. So it's it's kind of a, a fabric of football type of deal. Uh, average touchdown drive, I think, since 2018, it's been seven plays in college football or the average scoring drive has average touchdown drive comes down to about six and a half. And the average, you know, if you end up with a field goal, it goes up over seven. So it kind of tells you where that's at. And the reason is, is that, you know, these are still college offenses, like for as many points and all of those things that we see across the game each week, uh, each Saturday, they're, it's likely they're going to screw up at some point. So going 13 plays to get a touchdown. Yeah, great. You'll take it, but it's just a lot of, I call it exposure. It's like being out in the cold for too long. Like it's, it, there's just a danger there. Um, you're going to fumble it. You're going to throw an interception. You're going to have an incompletion on a key third down and, and those things in drives. So that's, that's really a key part that Nebraska is missing. You want to be able to stay on the field and do those things. That's a good sign. I think of like Iowa and Wisconsin, when I think of teams that can do that, Northwestern's another one, Nebraska is not built to be that way though. They, they need some of those four or five play touchdown drives and they're just not getting them. And let's go to you. How, how do you, where do you start? What do you, what do you, what do you start with to try to correct some of these issues? Is, is it explosiveness with you? Where, where's your brain at? Well, I can't, I can't speak to explosiveness like Brandon. That is like his wheelhouse. So I'm not going to take the explosive plays. I think, I think for me and, um, I've said this now 
to multiple people. I've said it on um, the uh, Mind Your Own podcast with Sasha. If I had the answers, I would be making millions of dollars a year as Nebraska's coach. So, like, I won't sit here and pretend that, like, I know exactly how to fix this thing. But I think for myself, one area of improvement, and I don't know, I guess I don't know, like, where this where this starts because we we aren't at practice. We don't get to see um, for the most part, what's going on. I don't know who is and isn't exactly calling plays. Uh, so, you know, how much of this, how much of this needs to be addressed towards frost and how much of it needs to go to Lubick? I don't know. Uh, we, we, we have a pretty good gut feeling that most of the play calls are frost, but we also can't say that for certainty without like them telling us exactly how it breaks down. But I think for myself, some of it is, and we've heard a little bit about this, about simplifying the playbook, but I don't know if it's even that. I think sometimes when they talk about simplifying the playbook, it's because for whatever reason, they're basically saying that individual doesn't know, doesn't know enough of the playbook to be able to do it. What I'm talking about when I say simplify is let's take Minnesota, for example. And now this is, this is in, to use this word again, oversimplifying it, because obviously they go into halftime, Minnesota makes some adjustments, they, they're starting to get some different looks, and that's going to, Nebraska has to adjust as well. But you have, a, you have a quarterback in Adrian Martinez who is doing all right running the ball against Minnesota. We know Minnesota is a team that can be run against, at least this year. Um, he's, not, he's not taking he's not successful in the big passes downfield, but he's, he's doing all right with the shorter, quicker passes. Things are to use your word cooking a little bit. And then things shift in a way that I don't quite understand. Maybe they were searching for those explosive plays. And so maybe that because of that, they were almost overreaching what they needed to do. I just think in that case, maybe go back to the basics, go back to the fact that, you know, running the ball against Minnesota on a day, it's very cold and windy is not a bad thing. It just sometimes feels like Nebraska is trying to be trying to force something that maybe it isn't at that moment. So just simplify it a little bit more. And if it's not working the way that maybe you wanted it to, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. It just means for whatever reason, it's not working in that way today. It, it, it just, feels like sometimes this offense gets stuck on trying to do the things over and over to try to make them work where it's like, but why, if something else is working or if you can adjust and make something else fit what you need in the moment, just keep going. Maybe that wouldn't have helped Nebraska against Minnesota, but that was just something that I kept feeling is it felt like they went away from the thing that was working. Now I understand Minnesota changed adjusted a little bit at halftime but at the same time why completely abandon what's working for you in favor of whatever else they were trying to do and again I don't know if I had the answers to like how you simplify that I would be coaching but I guess it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me but they're probably trying to figure that out themselves sure play calling has been something that's been questioned so much this year and I mean, I'm guilty of this too because I'm sure I've done it in the moment. Um, play calling is is so easy to question on game day when the play's not working. Um, it's so easy to sit there and say, you know, like on a cold, windy Saturday against Minnesota, why won't you run the ball? Their run defense sucks. Run the ball more. Um, 
but they really do believe that the the swing pass is an extension of their run game. Um, you love the swing pass. It's your favorite. That That's what they feel. And <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, like it, in, in theory, if you get Wondell Robinson, the ball, if you've got numbers, um, it works, right? Like the touchdown they had to Wyatt Lever was essentially a swing pass where they shifted the field, got numbers in their advantage and then threw it to Wyatt Lever and did what they were supposed to do. And they scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, the thing that is so frustrating about this offense and you hear Austin Allen talk about it on Monday and you hear Frost talk about it every single week. And I know nobody wants to talk about this anymore, but like you see it working and then all of a sudden it just breaks and you, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. Perfect example is the swing pass because the first two starts for Adrian Martinez after he came back off the bench for, for Luke McCaffrey, he was hitting the thing perfectly. And it wasn't something that he was doing before. He was hitting it on target in stride for guys that were catching it, be it Wanda Robinson receivers on a screen pass or a tunnel screen or whatever, um, or, you know, a running back, he was, he was hitting them in stride and they were getting four five, six yards, upwards of 15, sometimes 20 yards um, because that's what those plays are designed to do. And when you put the ball in the right place, initially you set your guy up to be able to do that. Now, like, I mean, we could talk about the wind, on the first play of the game, they said that it was not an issue. Frost and Martinez said after the game that it was not an issue, that it wasn't noticeable on the field. We weren't there, so we can't we can't argue with them. Um, but I mean, it's we not were there, but we were inside. So right, we were inside. We were not. And and I and I do wonder. I think one of the cool stories that's going to come probably from a national person is like what the absence of fans did to like the dynamics on the field when you talk about wind. Is it like a maybe like a little bit of a vortex effect in there without any fans. And maybe you get wind whipping around at the bottom. I don't know. Um, but like, so, so that first pass, it's not on target. And I mean, yeah, Wandale should catch the ball, but it's not on target. And suddenly now everything goes downhill. Um, and it's like, it's things like that, that it broke at a terrible moment. And that seems to continue to happen to them. And it's simple things that we've seen them execute before. And I think that's what makes this offense so like maddening to figure out and what makes this discussion such a long one of how do you fix the offense heading into next year is because like we can look at the talent. They got talent. They got a lot of talent. We can start looking at what they're going to have next year. Um, They could have two four-star high four-star could have been five-star tackles at left tackle and right tackle and Turner Corcoran and Bryce Benhart. Cam Jurgens was a four-star. Thomas Fedoni, um, who is not coming to Nebraska to ride the bench. Um, all due respect to Austin Allen. He ain't coming I thought here you were about bench. to say he's not coming to Nebraska. Now, by the time people listen to this, they will know that if you know he has signed or not, but I got real don't, nervous for a don't, second. Don't scare, like, don't scare don't, anybody. Don't do he that. Sh- he should be a five-star. Um, he's not coming here to ride the bench. He's going to play. You got Wendell Robinson. You got Xavier Betts. Um, I wrote down in my notes, assuming no attrition next year's offense will have four of the 20 highest rated recruits that Nebraska has signed in the two, four, seven era, four of the 20. And that's obviously assuming no attrition. Yeah. Turner Corcoran, Thomas Fedoni, Wendell Robinson, and Xavier Betts, four of the 20 highest rated recruits in the two, four, seven era will be on this offense next season. Um, there's, Talent's not an issue. 
No, and, and I think, and Derek, I want to just say really quick, I think you're right. And I think that's why I always hesitate with play calling because I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying like the play calling needs to be better or I understand sure. like yeah. exactly what's happening. I think for myself and a fair question, you know, is I don't think questioning I think there's two different ways to look at play calling you can question a little bit of like the decision making what were you seeing why did you maybe go away from the thing that was working what what challenged you there um but I mean you know there have been some I mean just thinking of Minnesota alone we questioned why why did Frost take the ball to start the game when it seems like he's been more successful when he has the ball to start the second half so and when one of his starting wide receivers said he prefers to start the game with the defense coming out first, getting a stop, and then they get the ball to start the second half. Yeah. That was I mean, a question that I had, certainly, yeah. It's. I think when we talk about play calling, I want to be careful. Like, I, I'm I'm not Matt Lubick. I'm not Scott Frost. They're, they're much smarter at this than I am, or else I would have the job. So, like, I always want to be careful with that because – Whereas I'm questioning, I think for me, I just like, I want to understand, like, what did you see that changed it? And maybe they walked away from it and said, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have. Who knows? Like, unless you're physically present with them and having those conversations afterwards, you just don't know. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to to question some of what they, some of the decision-making is maybe the better way to say it is not even so much the play calling. It's just more of the decision-making. But that's just because for me, it's like, I kind of just want to understand why. Why did you choose that path, I guess? Yeah, you can certainly question why Diedrich Mills only gets 12 carries. Um, That seems to be like his handcuff, and it's kind of hard to explain. Um, Brandon, do you like youth as an excuse? And is it it an excuse that Nebraska is going to be able to use in a year four under Scott Frost? Because if you just project out this offense, Turner Corcoran, if he starts at left tackle, he'd be a freshman by, and this would all be like by the way NCAA views eligibility. Turner Corcoran, a freshman. Ethan Piper, still a freshman. Cam Jurgen still a sophomore. Who goes at right guard? I don't know. Bryce Benhart, still a freshman. Fedoni would still be, would be a true freshman, a first-year freshman. Wanda Robinson would still be a sophomore. Xavier Betts would still be a freshman. At running back, they'd either have Savion Morrison, Marvin Scott, Ramir Johnson, Ronald Tompkins, I don't know if Diedrich Mills is going to come back. I'm not going to include him in it just because all the seniors, it seems like they've talked about how this was like their last game at Memorial stadium. Um, but all four of those other running backs, they would also be freshmen by in, in the NCAA's eyes. So this projects as an incredibly young offense next season, even more so than it was this season. Is that an excuse? And is that an excuse that you can use or a, a crutch that you can lean on in your fourth year as the head coach of a program? I think, I mean, I think inexperience is a factor. The bigger issue is, is that there's the excuse kind of changes week to week, right? It's always, it's always something Uh, this week. It might be, well, we're still a young team, which they are, but we see, you know, part of the reason that there's so much, I guess, consternation or um, over, over where Nebraska's at as a program is that the last really two decades of college football have conditioned us to think like the, tur- the turnaround happens quick or it doesn't happen at all. Um, and, you know, there are countless examples you can talk about there in the December issue. I wrote a little bit about that, you know, from 2000 to 2010, like 
I think every coach won a national, every coach that won a national title was in his first four years there. When you take out some of the repeats like urban Meyer, obviously, but like the, the trend lately has been, it happens really quickly. So yes, it, it would be better. And, you know, and frost actually talks about getting old as a team and being experienced more than I probably thought he would. And I think that's a reflection of, well, things have gone more slowly than they anticipated. So yeah, there's some of that in there, you know, um, but when you get to the off season, it's really a matter of, okay, Bryce Benhart might still be a sophomore um, next year, but he played a lot of football. It's like, you can be young. You can be an underclassman and be pretty experienced. Wondell Robinson had plenty of experience coming into this year. So you can't write it off totally, but does it work as an excuse? No, I don't think so. Particularly when Nebraska's attrition rate has been so high that, okay, even if those guys are playing as young players, there's no guarantee they're going to be here two, three seasons down the road. So that, that's another issue for the Huskers. That's one thing I'm very worried about is that we get into January or February and suddenly, you know, you're, you're losing guys again because things aren't going the way anybody thought it was going to go. And then suddenly you are a young team because like, you know, you can look at, at the roster management of the first three years and you can say like, well, I mean, there's a, there's an alternate reality where you're actually an old team right now. If you look at the guy that's leading Oregon state and tackles at linebacker or, you know, there's a wide receiver, and he didn't have a good year at TCU, but there's a wide receiver that would have owned every single Nebraska receiving record if he'd stayed for his last year. So, they, like, there are guys elsewhere that you can look at and say, well, if they were still here, this wouldn't necessarily be such a young team. Um, but that's a little bit a little bit revisionist. And, and, like, to your point, like, yes, Bryce Benhart will only still be a, a redshirt freshman by eligibility and Jurgens will only be a sophomore by eligibility, but like Jurgens will be going into his fourth year here at the school. Ben Hart will be going into his third year. They've been around for a while. Um, so I, I am curious to see how that kind of works. And, and another thing I'm curious about too, is if because of that situation that they might potentially be in, if on Friday, we see more young guys. We're going to see Turner Corcoran without Brendan Hymas in the picture. Um, do we see more of Xavier Betts, more of Alante Brown, who hasn't really gotten a ton of burn at wide receiver? He's their primary kick returner, but not a, a ton of snaps for him at, at wide receiver throughout the season. Do we see somebody like him? Um, do we finally get to see Savion Morrison's debut? Uh, I'm, I'm curious about something like that. Aaron, would you play it that way, or would you say, no, we got to win a game. we got to win a football game. Oh, I, I mean, I think I think they have to win a football game. And the reason I say that is I think going into what will be the longest offseason of Nebraska history, um, which, I mean, the 2020 offseason felt long, but this one I feel like is going to be excruciatingly uh, painful, especially when we think about the fact that, like, it'll be when this game is done, um, we're talking, like, months before we hear from them again. Um, and even then when you get into spring football, like, I don't know how much availability will and access will have, uh, with COVID-19 protocols. We don't know what that will look like. So, I mean, we're talking, it's going to be a long off season. And when you think of like what a win could do just 
one win doesn't mean anything like in the big scheme of things. It's not like one win over Rutgers is going to suddenly change the trajectory of this entire program and save everything and everyone from themselves. But it, it can, it can do a lot to at least like build some momentum going into a new year where you can at least feel a little bit good about what you showed and take that just those, those good vibes. Sometimes just feeling good goes a long way. So I mean, I think that there's, while there's some benefit to like, yeah, let's just play whomever we want and just let them get experience and like roll with that. I would certainly understand it, but I think if I'm, I think if I'm the head coach, I'm just trying to get a win because I think if you can get a win and get a, get a very like good win, like let's say they beat Rutgers by a touchdown or two. Like it's it's not a three point game. It's not coming down to the wire. You actually really win this game. I think then at least like no, you're not you're not like writing letters to recruits that are like look at that win over Rutgers. But at least you feel like we've taken something into the off season that we can feel okay about. Yeah, for as little interest I guess as there may be around this game. I mean. It's Friday night now instead of random Friday, Friday afternoon game. So maybe that helps a little bit. At least people won't be literally at work. Um, so so that helps. But it, it feels like kind of a high stakes game against for for a game between a two win Nebraska team and a three win Rutgers team. And yes, Rutgers is better. Um, but you know, it's still the program, <laughs> you know, there's still an association with Rutgers based on the past, well, really their entire time in the Big Ten up to this point. Like Greg Schiano has made them look at least competent to a degree they haven't ever since joining the Big Ten in 2014. Well, there's so, a perception of them, and that's why they brought in Greg Schiano in part was because he was going to be a guy, he was a big name that was going to be able to fight that perception, which was a thing that he was going to have to do. Yeah, and he, and he and he's done a really remarkable job. Like Rutgers offensively, it's it's still a struggle, but but defensively they've made some some pretty strong gains. And you know, maybe that's not a total surprise. Like Shiano's a defensive guy; he's a good defensive football coach. And and also Chris Ash, for as bad as that Rutgers era went, he got fired there and then became defensive coordinator at Texas. Like that guy can coach some football too. Uh, it's just it. <laughs> There's there's no kind of ready-made angles for Nebraska in this one. You got to go to New Jersey on a short week. It's going to be cold. There's going to be potentially a foot and a half of snow piled up around the field. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the end of the year, which is always tough. Another year that hasn't gone as Nebraska has wanted it. Can you go out and play well in those conditions? And I think, yes, you, you beat Rutgers. It's not like, well, that's a springboard to 2021. But they do need like losing that game, I think, is is a big issue as you you turn the page to the season to come, like going into the season, having lost to Rutgers to end the year on a cold Friday night in New Jersey. No, thank you. Yeah, it's it's just uh, I mean, I just think about here's the thing. A win over Rutgers is not going to make is not going to, it's not going to take all the scrutiny that Frost has faced this season away. Um, but it certainly gives your players something to feel a little bit good about. And I think that goes a long way. Um, we've talked about just the mentality of this team 
and that I just feel like they are so fractured in that in that mentality and I don't again I don't think a win over Rutgers is going to necessarily glue that all back together but it, it definitely would do more for it than it would if they you know managed to lose this one yeah I definitely think that a loss can do more damage than a win can do good um and I wonder you know one of the the storylines we heard this week was was how much everybody um from the top down still believes inside Nebraska's walls that things are going to turn. I wonder how much just sheer belief in what you're doing plays a part in fixing some of the, some of the problems that they've had, because like when some of the, when some of when it's, when it's hard to put a finger on what's causing the issue, maybe just sheer belief helps you maybe break through a wall that you don't necessarily know how to get through or a door that you don't necessarily like, you don't know what the key is to it. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Brandon, I have some numbers that I would like to share, and I would like to ask you to tell me what they mean. Um, Nebraska, from a points-per-play standpoint, and, and, I, and I feel like depending on where you get stuff, like numbers can differentiate a little bit. If I have stuff wrong and you have something different, feel free to tell me. But from a, a points-per-play standpoint, Nebraska's offense from 2019 – has gone from 69th nationally to 99th nationally. They've gone down. Um, Red zone touchdown percentage in 2019, they were 100th nationally. They've dropped to 113th. They went from 52.9% down to 48.4%. So they're not scoring as many touchdowns in the red zone. Third down percentage has dropped off a cliff. They went from 50th a year ago at 51.2% to this year they're 107th at 33.3% bad on third downs yards per pass has also dropped off a cliff 7.9 in 2019 down to 6.3 they were 44th nationally in 2019 now they're down to 100th points per scoring opportunity has gone down as well from 83rd nationally to 100th nationally but but all of that said and again maybe you have a different number if you do let me know success rate when i was looking at it has gone up From 42.2% in 2019, that was 67th, to 45.96, if you're rounding up, which would be 30th nationally. So we've talked about explosiveness. Penalties was an issue early on. They're worse on on just a a per-play efficiency in terms of scoring points. They're worse in the red zone. They're worse on third down. But their success rate is 30th nationally. How do you, how does that work? Can you help explain that? Yeah. um, So it's, it's kind of the story of Nebraska football for the last three years. Like the sex, the success rate has always been strong. Um, And so one, one of the things with this year in particular, and this has been true since week one, and it hasn't really budged a bunch is so success rate, you know, all plays, you can also break into standard downs and passing downs, which is just like second and six is a standard down second and seven as a passing down It has nothing to do with the play that's actually run. It's just kind of, can the defense expect you to pass? Um, real, Nebraska's really, really strong. They're even better than the number you mentioned, uh, top 30 and overall success rate. They're, they're top 10 uh, on standard downs. So when it's second and four or third and three, like strong, they get into passing downs and it, they're, 
112th or 113th nationally. So they're a team that needs to stay ahead of the schedule, stay ahead of schedule to survive. Um, some of the numbers that you specifically mentioned. And I think, so this like, and I know people are kind of tired of hearing it, or at least that's my sense of, you know, frost and, and the players really kind of drove it home this week too. And their comments saying, we're close, we're close, we're close. So the third down, well, okay. You're talking about, you could run two successful plays. You could gain five yards on first down and then three on second. If you go, if you are unsuccessful on third and two, um, well, that hurts your, hurts your third down conversion percentage doesn't really dent. I mean, your, your success rate that much. So there's part of that. Um, also the, the red zone. So that's a specific, you know, we're talking about 20 yards and in, so you could be good in success rate all the way down to the 20 yard line. In fact, you probably need to be pretty good to get down there against your, your standard big 10 defense. But if you come up short there, um, that's that. And if you come up short there, you're getting three points, hopefully. Um, but you're not getting seven. So your points per play, uh, is hurt, is hurt. It goes down. It's, it's, it's those things. Like they do so much of the work to like, you work a full day. Um, and then you get down to the last 15 minutes and you screw something up and it, it feels like the whole, the whole work day can be shot. Um, and then, and that's kind of where Nebraska has been, um, under frost, which is, which is why, you know, as someone who kind of looks numbers, numbers first in a specific set of numbers that I kind of trust to tell me like how well is this team actually playing? Uh, a lot of that's really positive. So, so I tend to be on frost and the team side more when they say we're close, we're close, we're close because where they're really bad right now are those are like a handful of plays. I mean, it came up on Tuesday. They're talking about three, four five plays, which gets frustrating because three years in, is there any sign that that's changing? Um, and that's the big missing piece. One of the things that was said Monday that caught a lot of eyeballs, certainly caught my eye, or, or I guess like caught my ear, I guess more since it was said, um, is when Austin Allen said the offense is designed for things to work when all 11 guys do their job. And it's not going to work when only 10 guys do their job. Like, why that's the case is that normal that's all a big long discussion we can have out some other day but it kind of got me thinking i mean it makes sense to to help kind of illustrate or, or i guess explain what we're seeing on saturdays um and then i i had somebody say to me is it is it the one guy not doing his job is it the same guy over and over and over again, it is is the the thing that is holding back this offense quarterback play is is kind of the thing that that everybody just kind of circles around. Um, we're here. We got to talk to these guys every single day, so we can't do kind of the national thing where we drop in and say, "Oh yeah, your quarterback sucks," and then drop out and not have to deal with the consequences. We got to look at it a little bit kind of more holistically than that. Um, I love Adrian. I think he's a wonderful young man. I think he's a wonderful leader. I think he's a wonderful captain. But I, I think the question is fair at this point. Is the thing that is holding this offense back quarterback play? And not necessarily putting Luke in, because I think we've seen this year that Luke is not ready. 
is a switch at quarterback. If that quarterback is an upgrade, does that suddenly just fix everything? Either of you guys can answer this first. I don't know. I I think... This is a tough question. It's a tough question. Because if it was easy to answer, they would have switched quarterbacks and they would have put put, put somebody different in or they would be bringing somebody different in, which right. they might not do. And it's I a think, tough question. Yeah, and I think, to be honest with you, like when we go back to decision-making, um, I one thing I have a lot of questions about is the evaluation of Nebraska's quarterbacks because we heard for so long that, you know, they're so close, they're testing so close to one another. And um, this is neither here nor there. It, I don't think it necessarily speaks volumes about – um, uh, Luke McCaffrey long-term, but like he and Adrian, I don't think are testing at, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess, like, could I see the test, what they're, what they're doing to get the, like, they're all things are equal because I mean, what you really have right now is you have one quarterback in Adrian who tends to, He's hit and miss on decision-making, but he typically has a little bit more composure about him. So there's that piece that he, he goes out there, he has a little bit more composure, um, isn't able to really throw downfield, uh, which is frustrating to people, uh, but seems to be all right at running the ball and can make some of those uh, shorter, quick passes. Um, but then you have Luke, who sometimes in the way that I described him, he looks like a Tasmanian devil right now. He's just very chaotic in how he runs things. There's nothing wrong with that. That is, that is youthfulness to be clear. Like he just looks chaotic. Um, But he's got, he's, he's fast, but his throwing is questionable. But again, so is Adrian's throwing. Um, And then we're all sitting here calling for Logan Smothers, but it's like, do you, do you even like go down that? And I'm not saying like we all like just the greater we you hear on like people are like, just throw them in there, see what happens. And it's like, but is that what you do? Like, I, I guess like we know that Luke McCaffrey is the future is what Frost said. Um, but can you reasonably unseat Adrian for Luke? by next season, if they don't have, if all things stay the same, they don't get any new quarterbacks, nothing happens. We know McKenzie Milton is going to Florida state. So that ship has sailed. Um, Charlie Brewer's in the transfer portal. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess you could like, I I mean, I guess Luke could, I don't think they're going to, but I don't think you can because unless it's a significant jump, unless it's a significant jump, Adrian has showed that he can run this offense mostly um but the question is is like I, my question is is would adrian what would adrian the quarterback be if some of those things around him were working a little bit differently um i i don't know like i think i i think you need a near perfect quarterback this season to have handled it a little bit differently because when you're getting when you're getting sacked by your own teammates butt <laughs> like I don't know at that point what you're supposed to do <laughs> the I thing that know. makes this difficult is a year ago it was hard to fully evaluate Adrian because the stuff around him wasn't working this year 
the stuff around him is working a little bit better. Now, the offensive line has not been as consistent, but we all see this on Saturdays. Wide receivers are open. Um, this stuff is working a little bit better. But how much does line play factor in? Brandon, where are you at with this? Adrian's one of Nebraska's three or four best players. Um, I don't think there's a ton of argument to be made <laughs> otherwise beyond the kind of standard thing of the, the quarterback always gets the most attention. His failures are the most kind of forward facing. Like when the quarterback screws up, everybody knows it. And, but I think what we've seen with the level of Adrian has played over the past three years, it's not enough for Nebraska to, to be better. Well, it's not, not good enough for Nebraska to have a winning record yet. Um, which is bizarre. I think Adrian has played for the most part has played at a higher level than what Nebraska's um, record actually is to this point. So it's, it's a tough question because it's like, yeah, kind of like Aaron said, if you, if there's a magic transfer out there, whoever, whoever it may be. And you're like, if we get this guy, we guarantee he's going to perform at a like 98th percentile level for all quarterbacks in college football. Like, I, I think that would help. Um, like you, you make maybe two more throws in terms of those two big play passes that were there that were just missed in the second or the first half against Minnesota. And maybe that's different, but you know, the level around Adrian, like the level of Nebraska just needs to rise overall. Um, so even if Adrian was much, much better, yeah, maybe it helps. Maybe you get another two or three wins over the course of all of the games that he's played. But I, I don't think it's the sole reason that Nebraska is at, is at where it's at right now. Like you just look at end of that Minnesota game, you know, four minutes left and they're up a touchdown. And what do they do? They give it to Mo Ibrahim, their best player. Everyone knows what's coming. Um, and they're just like, well, it's time to go win this game. And we're going to give it to our best guy who was dinged up, who didn't play much in that game, really, after he got hurt early. And they just gave it to him and he made plays. Who is that player or who are the two or three candidates to be that player on Nebraska right now? Wondell Robinson is probably the closest, but they don't They're, have that. Maybe He has had the strangest season. He doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. That's so weird. I was going to say one thing, too. You could almost put Adrian in that category, Brandon, of, like, I guess a player that could – like, we saw that um, when he was making – he was making the comeback. What what game was that um, where he got butt-sacked? Iowa. The Iowa game thing. Uh, or was it Yeah. Purdue? Sorry, my brain was, like, not – like, placing this game. Like, I couldn't see the field for some reason. I was even at that Iowa game. Um, but like you have this moment of like, all right, taking charge or coming down the field, it's going to happen. And then, uh, your offensive lineman, um, one runs by gets blown by you. And like, I mean, and you're just immediately sacked and there's nothing you can do. And I remember he just laid there on the ground for a minute. And part of me was like, did he just get injured? But he was just, I think in his moment, that moment where it's like, that was it, but everything else just kind of fell apart. And, that's the key is when you hear that from Austin Allen of like, we're just, we're not at a, like everything has to work correctly for like their, their air, like their margin for error is so small, so small. And so what it's saying is 
if one offensive lineman doesn't do his job, it's the it can't be recovered from at that moment. It's just going to somebody else might be able to get away from that. Not Nebraska. That's going to just collapse in front of them. Yeah, and I think that margin being so small factors into some of the play calling discussion too that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. To go back Absolutely. to um, the Hoiberg and a basketball analogy, like. I think we all probably agree that quote unquote, the scheme works, right? Like their receivers are open consistently. Like we've seen the run game work. Um, the success rate is high, it, you know, uh, for a team that is as limited as Nebraska is right now in some ways for it to be that high kind of tells you like, yeah, when it comes to moving chess, chess pieces on the chessboard, uh, the coaching coaching staff still remains pretty good, particularly on offense. Um, but it, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, these missed passes or these runs that if you make break one more tackle or make one different cut, it goes for 40 yards instead of seven. It feels a lot to me. Um, and, and Derek is the resident hoop head here. So I'll be interested in what he thinks. It feels a lot to me like Nebraska's getting good looks like, okay, that was a corner three. We'll take that every time we can get it. We got to make the shot. Um, and Nebraska three years in still isn't making the shot consistently enough. Like they're happy with what they're getting. Uh, it's, it's working for the most part, the way they have designed it to work the way they want it to work. But sooner or later, you gotta, you gotta make the shot, you know, Fred Hoiberg, <laughs> his career is not going to be defined by, well, Nebraska won 25% of its games, but man, it created a ton of good looks. And I think that's kind of Nebraska football to this point. That's a good analogy. I'm not saying you're doing this, but I think some of the um, hubbub about Fred Hoiberg's offense right now is way too premature. Way too. They're getting, they are playing the way, just just on paper, they're playing the way he wants them to play. They're just missing shots. And this is a brand new rotation. So like, and again, I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I've seen it this week. Um, and it's, it's, it's way too early for that. Um I don't think there is a Justin Fields, Joe Burrow level transfer in this market right now. Now with the way that the portal is like booming, maybe in 36 hours, that'll change. But currently I don't think that there's a Justin Fields or a Joe Burrow in the transfer portal. I don't even think there's like a Jamie Newman type in the transfer portal. Um, I don't think Nebraska is going to go there. At least for a quarterback. I mean, so, fair, to be fair with the quarterback situation in the transfer portal, and I have to just say this about um, Joe Burrow really quick, that you had no idea, LSU had no idea that Joe Burrow was going to, like, that That was lightning in a bottle, and good for them for what they got. But, like, I think we've taken Frost, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, by the way. I'm just saying for fans who go down this path. I think we've taken Frost a little too out of context with the, is he better than what I have? Because at the time he was looking at Adrian as all the future of Nebraska football. And so the question that you have to ask is like, is Joe Burrow with what we know? Is that, is that something that we need to go really sincerely pursue? Or do we feel better about the option that we have right now? So that would be the question again with the transfer portal is, is there somebody that is better than what you feel you have right now? And the answer is maybe, but the, the reality is you don't know. And at the end of 2018, it looked like Nebraska got the better end of that deal. I mean, Joe Burrow 
I think from a QBR standpoint was a little bit better than Adrian, but Adrian was true freshman. You're like, okay, well quarterback set for the next, however many years, like Joe Burrow had a nice season, but, and then he went out with a new offensive coordinator and had like the greatest passing season anyone has seen in, in college football history. And (laughs) with, with where LSU is trending now, uh, here's a prediction that that's going to feel like the Cam Newton, Gene Chizik national title at Auburn, like LSU is in a little bit better spot than Auburn was. And I think Ed Orgeron's a better coach than Gene Chizik was, but not by leaps and bounds. Um, sorry. That was bizarre. Bizarre LSU take insert. No, that was good. All of this Nebraska podcast. That was good. You also hit the Joe Brady bingo, which uh, his name doesn't come up enough when, when talking about that. 2019 LSU it, team. No one can see this because they can't see us, but if you could, it did look like you were marking off a bingo card. I just want to point out you like went down and it looked like you checked off something on the bingo card. <laughs> um, Brandon, I have a, I have a one quick question for you and then we'll let you guys get out of here. Um, you said that Adrian is third or fourth best player on the team or, or top three or four best players on the team. If you took away his ability to run, you told him you have to sit in the pocket on pass plays. You can still have the quarterback power play, the design quarterback run stuff, but on pass plays, you have to sit in the pocket. You have to throw the ball. You cannot scramble. Is he still a top three or four guy? No, probably not. I mean, I think he, he drops a little bit, but he's not a terrible, he's not a terrible passer. He just can't quite, or hasn't shown the ability yet to, to make every throw that I think this offense needs him to make. Um, so if that were the case and you really were to, okay, like we're going to focus on these passing plays because we know we can execute these. These are throws that are made consistently. Like I still think Nebraska is capable of moving the ball that way. Is he one of the three or four play- best players on the team at that point? No, probably not. I mean, I think back to that, touchdown run he had against Purdue that's when he looks like which was if I'm if I recall that was a design pass I don't either way it was a hell of a run for him to find the end zone like that was an individual play on his part and that really is his strength so you take that the ability for that out of it yeah he drops on the list but he's probably still in the top 10 for me one of the issues is that the, okay, let's whittle this down to the pass plays that we know we can complete. That's kind of where they're at now. And we see 10 guys in the box on Saturdays and they have no deep shot, which kind of gets back to what we opened with, which was you talking about explosiveness. So um, that position could potentially be in flux this off season. It could potentially not. It could be, Adrian, again, we'll see. Um, Quarterback will probably once again be one of the most talked about and dissected positions for Nebraska heading into the new season. Um, But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because, you know, the how do you fix this offense question will be asked ad nauseum over this offseason. And I think as we've kind of found as we've worked our way through this is it's not an easy question to answer. No, so, a lot a lot of those numbers that you mentioned earlier, you know, the red zone, third downs, uh, points per trip, et cetera. Like, I think a lot of that, too, is chalked up to what you just said. They don't they they can't challenge people downfield consistently. 
and they don't have receivers that scare an opposing defense right now, uh, which isn't to, you know, downplay any of the talent at that spot right now that Nebraska just hasn't shown the ability to do it. And we're heading into game eight. And if you have not shown the ability to make teams pay, it becomes really easy to kind of load up against the best weapon, which is, well, either quarterback in there running the football, which is its own separate thing. And some of their wide receiver talent isn't even on the field. So uh, we'll see. Certainly a lot lot to talk about. We could go for probably another couple hours, but you guys got to go. I'm sure you got work to do. I got to. I got to jump on something else. So thank you guys both for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, keep reading HaleVarsity.com. We'll have coverage on uh, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, everything all through the weekend. Listen to Brandon's podcast, the ID preview pod. Listen to Aaron and Sasha's podcast, the Mind Run podcast, everything else you can find. HaleVarsity.com backslash network. Shout out to Sasha for producing this today. Um, thanks to uh, to Brandon and Aaron for coming on one more time. And then thanks to all you guys for listening every week. So hit the subscribe button and uh, we'll talk to you next week.